Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. This morning, we're starting a new sermon series. And I love starting new sermon series because it gives us the direction for what's next. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how do we be the church? Over the last five weeks, we talked about our core values. And I had shared about our core values that we waited, we waited 15 years to now talk about who we are. Most organizations, most churches talk about their core values saying, hey, hopefully we will become this. And it's almost like that target that we're aiming for and hopefully we'll kind of arrive one day. What we did was, let's say, God, who are you calling us to be? How are we acting in your calling? And now let's preach on it. And so we talk about all these different things of who we are, these big picture items. But then I think about how do we treat one another? Amen? How do we treat one another? Because I know many people who are not in churches today because how they have been treated by others in their Christian community, whether Protestant, whether Catholic, no matter what it is, is that in those relationships with people in your churches, something severed and caused you to have a deep anger towards others and even towards God. And when I think about how we treat one another, we as the church should be setting the example for what it truly means to be followers of Jesus. That when people look at us and they say, I want that. I want that. I want their mojo. I want their excitement. I want their joy. I want their love. I want their humility. I want their ability to welcome others into my life just as they have welcomed me into their life. And when you think about the one another's, it's actually one word. It's not two words. In the Greek, it's one word. In other words, it's a statement. It's a declaration. Love one another. Forgive one another. Serve one another. Spur one another on. And when you look at the New Testament, there are a hundred one another's in the New Testament. Wow, that's a lot. That little phrase has a lot of weight. That little phrase has a lot of meaning. And out of those hundred, they all kind of intersect each other. But here's the interesting thing. 59 of, the, of those hundred all deal with how we should and should not treat one another. Wow. You want some marriage advice? Study the one another's. You want some parenting advice? Study the one another's. You want to be a great employee or employer? Study the one another's. Because I believe, as many of you know, that the manner in which we treat one another helps us understand or causes us to misunderstand who God really is. And what I love about the one another's is this. It wasn't just Peter. 
It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just John that talked about the one another's, but Jesus himself talked about the one another's. And some of them that we are going to study, because we're not going to look at all 100. There's no way we're doing a 100-week sermon series because everyone will leave the church. We're going to do five weeks. We're going to look at five prominent ones that all of them kind of intersect in between each other. But out of those five, several of them come specifically from the mouth of Jesus. And here's what I believe. If Jesus says it, that settles it. And it's done. And what we're going to do is we're going to start with the most important one. What do you think it is? Love. Love one another. How many of you are wearing name tags today? Everyone wearing a name tag? Okay. Everyone wearing a name tag? Okay. I'm not going to call anyone out if they're not wearing a name tag. But first service I did because I knew the person that I made fun of him not wearing a name tag. For the first nine years of the plant, every Sunday was name tag Sunday. Seriously. Matter of fact, I was with Scott Hosier uh, last week, and he said, hey, can we ever bring back the name tags? Like, there's so many people that I want to really know their names, but by the time I leave, I forget all of them. And I really thought that during the sermon series that if we truly want to be the church, we need to go where everybody knows our names, right? We need to go where everybody knows our name, right? We have to. Because there are restaurants and there are bars, since this is the older crowd, that, that when you walk in, everyone's like, hey, it's Rob. Hey, it's Rob. Hey, even for me, it's like, hey, it's Pastor Rob. I walk into Mawa Bar and Grill and everyone's like, hey, it's Pastor Rob. It's a beautiful place. But I want to start with the most important one, love. Because when you look at to love one another, Everything comes into alignment after that. When we truly know what it means to love one another, everything else just mysteriously, magically, divinely falls into place. When Jesus was challenged, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they're like, okay. And he goes, and this, love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. I thought it's all about me and Jesus. I thought it's only about, about me and him. And Jesus says, uh-uh. It's not only how you love God, but it's how you're loving others. Look what John says in John chapter 13, 34 through 35. And this is towards the end of Jesus' life. He says this. This is the words of Jesus. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will, everybody say the word with me, prove, say it again, prove to the world that you are my disciples. So towards the end of Jesus' life, he gathers his disciples and he says, I'm leaving you with a new command. Love one another 
so that you can prove, you can make a declaration, you can make a statement, you can let everybody know that you are my disciple because you are loving the world as I have loved you. You know what I love about Jesus? Everything he asks us to do, he's done. He's done. I mean, even thinking about baptism, I think it's something that we forget about. As we are followers of Jesus, Jesus is like, yep, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey my commands. Why did Jesus command baptism? Because he says, I was baptized. Before my ministry, before my sending out, I made a declaration to the Father that I'm all in. And so Jesus says, I'm giving you a command. Love each other. Prove to the world that you are my disciples. And when I look at John, he was known as the one Jesus loved. Does that mean that Jesus loved John more than the other disciples? No. John had this, this affinity for Jesus where it wasn't about you know, him being Lord, him being Savior. It was about Jesus being friend, Jesus being his intimate, Jesus being the one that he leaned on and talked with and met with and gathered with just because of who he was. And all the disciples walked around and said, yeah, he's the one that Jesus really loves. Like it wasn't really a positive. Like when you read and Jesus and he was the one that Jesus loved, it wasn't like, and he was the one that Jesus loved. It was like, yeah, he's the one that Jesus loved, right? He's the favorite. No, 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 no. God doesn't have favorites. But I tell my children is this. God does not have favorites. He has his intimates. Those who lean into him and say like, wow, I really want to know him. I really want to know him. I don't want to prove myself to him. I'm not looking for perfection. I just want to know Jesus. And when you study 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, all John talks about is this loving one another as Christ loves them. And when you look at the epistles, this is something that we have to remember, that he was speaking to the church. So I want you to do this. Turn to your person on your left and say, I love you. Turn to the person on your right, I love you. Right? Now everyone's looking away from each other, right? Turn to each other, right? And say, I love you. And if there's a man in front of you, you need to say, I love you, man. I love you, man. Right? Think about that. But he's talking to the church. And listen to the words that that John says. And he says this all the way throughout, especially 1 John. You read chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. It's like he's repeating himself. But when you get to the first beginnings of any epistles, this is what the writer is saying. This is what's most valuable to learn. That's what the author is saying. The things that I say in the first two chapters are going to determine the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, and if it's like Corinthians, all the way to chapter 16. The beginning part determines everything else with what the author is trying to get out. And listen to what John says. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you, 
Rather, it's an old one you have had from the very beginning. The very beginning of their faith. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. And you also are living in it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. And so when you read this little verse, there's so much meat about love, about commandment. And then he gets into this whole metaphor that he uses all the way throughout his epistle, which I'm going to get, towards, get to towards the end, about this metaphor of light and darkness. And he says, love one another. And I'll be honest with you, the reason we're beginning with this one is because this is the hardest one of all. Many of us have pain in our lives that, that keep us from God because of how we've been loved, how we've been disappointed by love, how we've had those who, who really declare something about, about who God is and, and how they believe that have turned around and have actually hurt us. Unfortunately, most of the time, it's never done on purpose. But there's never this opportunity for what true reconciliation is. You see, what we have to understand about righteousness, and we're like, I want to be righteous. Righteousness is not only about how we stand before God, how we're living in relationship with God, but it's about how we're living in relationship with one another. Look at the cross, right? Up and down, side to side. What a great image. How do we know that we are living in a right relationship with God? How are we knowing that we are living in a manner that pleases God? It's not just how we're walking with him, but it's how we're doing life with one another. Oftentimes people say, well, there's three words of love in scripture. There's actually six. In the Old and New Testament, there are six different words to define love. Hebrew and Greek. And I want to talk about the two. I want to talk about the first, that when you read the commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that word is agape. It's an unconditional, perfect love. It's a love that God shows us where it says, for God so loves the world... And what does he mean? That in an imperfect, broken world, God still loves us so much that he sent his son to bring reconciliation. Reconciliation to him and reconciliation for one another. It's like a parent's. Agape is that love. Agape is that love that when you see your child, even in their worst days, you are willing to say, I will do anything for them. I had the privilege on Friday to do a funeral. And I say that because often I don't like doing funerals. It doesn't sound like a fun part of my job, does it? Anyone want to do a funeral next week? No. 
But when I met with the family two days earlier, there was this agape amongst them. They were burying their mother. And there was this agape amongst them. And on Friday, I literally had the joy to celebrate a life well lived. And one of the children who had already passed away, the other siblings talked about how their mother loved that child to the end. A child was battling with mental illness when mental illness wasn't really a thing, right? That literally people were medicated improperly. That people were just kind of like taken away. And I love what one of the children said. They said, my mother would have given her right arm to see that child better. And she loved that child all the way to the end. That is agape. Perfect, unconditional love. It doesn't mean that we just allow people to do whatever they want, but rather that we meet them right where they're at so that the love, the truth, the compassion of Jesus can be lived out in our lives. Listen to what Paul says when he talks about agape. He's like, who wants to know what agape is? Everyone's like, what's love? Love's love. Really? That's a really bad answer. Love, love, love is love. That means nothing. This is what Paul says true love is. Love. Let me insert agape. Agape is patient and kind. Everyone go like this. Everyone pretend you have a seatbelt. Put it on. Put it on. Come on, put your seatbelt on. You're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to leave. Someone's going to want to leave this morning. I trust you. Put that seatbelt on, and then we're going to tighten it up a little bit. Agape is patient and kind. Agape is not jealous. Agape is not boastful or proud or rude. Agape does not demand its own way. Agape is not irritable. That's the one I need to work on. Agape keeps no record of being wronged. You see how that reads? Keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice with injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Agape never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And when you study Jesus, that's all we see. That's all we see. Patient, kind, not irritated, not boastful. Matter of fact, everybody wanted Jesus to get the fame. And you know what he says? He goes, I agape my father so much, I want him to get the glory. John chapter 17, God glorify myself through you so that you get the praise, the glory, and the honor. I mean, that was right before he went to the cross. Agape is this unconditional, perfect love. If you have your child next to you, give him a little hug and say, I agape you. I may not do it perfect, but I'll try it. Agape. And then when you become a grandparent, it's a whole different agape. Do I get an amen? Right? All you grandparents out there, it's a whole different agape. I remember holding my, my first grandchild. I can't believe I have two. And, and, and I literally, I, I sat there and I started weeping because I'm in my 50s now. And, and I said, I'm holding generations That little girl can do no wrong. No wrong. 
but yet when she is wrong, I want doors to be open that I can love her right where she's at. And so John is saying, I command you to agape one another just as Jesus commanded it. And when we think about agape, there's this big picture, this unforeseen thing that's almost untangible. But we get to see glimpses of it. We get to see moments of it. Matter of fact, when you really love someone and you are easily irritated, what do you do? Hey, sorry about that. That really frustrated me. My poor boys, I do that to them all the time. I get easily irritated and I'll go into my one son's room. I'll be like, hey man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I got easily irritated. He's like, okay. Or I'll go downstairs in the basement where another one is and I'll be like, hey man, I, I, I lost my cool. He's like, didn't even recognize it. But I did. I did. I did. I want him to know that, that even in that moment, that my love for you is bigger than my irritation. And oftentimes, my irritations are more about me than they are about them. Do I get an amen for that? Right? Think about that. Because when I do get easily irritated, my whole desire for them is to be able to live in the fullness of who they are and the way that God has created them. So that's agape. It's this big picture. Love the Lord. Agape God. Agape your neighbor. And 1 John, he uses the word agape all throughout, all throughout it. But here's the interesting thing. There's a twist. Philia. Everyone say philia with me, right? Uh, stands for Philadelphia. Philadelphia, right? Which is the city of brotherly love. Now, if you're a Giants fan, you know the Eagles have no love in them. Do I get an amen, right? So here's an interesting story. Philadelphia, Eagle Stadium, is the only stadium with a judge in a jail. Do you know that? So at the Philly football games, when fights break out, especially when Giants fans are there, guess what happens? They take the Giants fan before the judge, and if the judge sees that they're wrong, guess what they do with them? He throws them into the Philadelphia Eagles jail. How do I know this? Not because I was thrown in jail, because I'm a Jets fan but rather my best friend from high school was thrown into jail there. And Coach Chris, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> and he was thrown in jail. And it's funny is they love one another, but they have no concept what it really means. And Philly fans love to love when they're winning and when they're losing. Trust me, you do not want to be their starting quarterback. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's true. And, and, and it's this thing. But when he talks about philia, this is what he's talking about. In your agape, in your desire to meet people unconditionally and to reveal the perfect love of Jesus, your interactions are really what defines your understanding of love. Because if you go back to John 13, 35, let me just read this again. This is what it says. Your philia, your love for one another, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, 
the way that you interact with one another shows that you get it. Philia, the definition, to care for, respect, have compassion, and have a deep connection among each other. There's nothing worse than someone's like, I love you, man, and then you never hear from them again. There's nothing worse than when you're going through a real hard time and someone's like, hey, I got your back, and what happens? They never show up. But you know I love you, really? Because your phileia of me is non-existing. And so when John is talking about love, he's talking about your interactions, how you interact with one another, truly defines your understanding of God's love for you. Because we've received the agape from God, we choose to live in agape and philia with one another. I choose to care for you. I choose to have compassion. I choose to respect you and be present. And I hate to say this, that most churches do this horrifically. Horrifically. We had 28 people when we started the plant. And this is who we said we're going to be. We want Allendale, Mawa, West Milford, all these communities, when they think about our community together, that they know one thing, the love of Jesus, because how we love one another. And we have this beautiful divine intervention that out of those 28 people, 12 of them left and said, we don't want that. We just want to go to church and we want to do the church thing. Best thing that ever happened to us was when those individuals said, we choose not to do this with you. After the second service, one of our founding families came up to me and she was like, she was shaking. And she says, I don't know if I repressed all the pain we went through with those individuals leaving. She says, but I must have. Because everything you were talking about is what we chose to do as families together. And many of those people hurt us. They talked bad about us. They dishonored us. And yet we had to choose to love them no matter what. It was painful. When you read psychology books, they say the most painful wound is a religious wound. Look it up. Because you're not only trusting that individual, you're trusting that God put that stranger in your life for a very particular purpose. And what I see is so many people go from church to church and have these little divorces in their heart. And oftentimes by the time they come to the plant, let's say this is their love for community. This person hurts them, that person hurts them, this person hurts them, that person hurts them, this person hurts them, that person hurts them, this pastor fails them, this church offends them. 
And all of a sudden, they come to the plant and they're like, it's all I got. It's all I got. And they all say, don't ask me to do anything. And I'm thinking like, we need Jesus to redo a divine work in our life so that that goes away and this is restored. I grew up like that. I told God I would never be a pastor. I told God I would never be a pastor. I grew up in a church where we were like, everyone was uncle and aunt. When my parents left that church, we had such a, even though we have a big immediate family, we had such a large church family that when we left that church, every aunt and uncle that I called aunt and uncle was taken out of my life permanently. And I went off the rails. I went off the rails. And I'm thinking like, Jesus, that's the church? I don't want to be like that. So when I had my encounter with Christ, I'm like, I want to learn to love Jesus. And I want to learn to love like Jesus. And God, I'll only be a pastor if we are in a community that we learn to live like you. It's okay to disagree, but are we choosing unity above all things? And what we do is we allow the things of this world to just, we, in many ways, we act worse than the world. Look what John says. If any of you, if anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. And such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. John actually hits this several times in his epistle. This dichotomy of of love and hatred. Because the opposite of love is what? Hate. The opposite of love is hate. Can you love people and disagree? Yes. Can you love people and have conflict? Yes. Right now, we live in a world that we are not allowed to truly agape, agape, because we are so divided amongst each other. You see, this is what he says. He says, basically, if you hate someone, you don't understand love. Look look what he says in chapter 3. He says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a, say it, murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. What does Jesus say? He says, even if you say, Raka, I hate you. He's saying, You've committed murder in your heart. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty dangerous. Why? Because Jesus knew the opposite of love is hate, and the opposite of love is hate. I kind of said that backwards. But look what he says also. Chapter 4. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a what? Liar. 
wow, this is getting a little sticky. I don't know, Pastor Rob, if I'm coming back next week. For if we don't love people, we can. How can we love God whom we You see that? How can we say we, we, we hate people that we see, but we love God who we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. He's talking about the church. You know what hatred is? It is the opposing emotion, feeling, reality of love. To love means to detest, to hate, I'm sorry, to hate means to detest, loathe, denounce, be in disgust of another individual. That's what hatred is. It is to be in detest, loathing, denouncing, and disgust with another individual. To hate someone is to cut off the relationship because of a wrong done to you. To hate someone means to see them as less than oneself. To hate someone means to wish them harm. Has anyone ever hated anyone? Just me? Three, four, a couple of people? Good. I guess that's why I'm a pastor. I need this more than anybody. I'll be honest with you. I've struggled with it. I've struggled with hatred. I struggled with, even though after I came to Jesus, I did everything right to not hate an individual. I did everything right. And still that hatred was brewing and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed saying, I, I can just pray the hatred out of me. And I'll never forget, I was 31 years old at another church, being a pastor at a church. And the person who abused me kept coming up. It was emotional, it was physical, it was not sexual. The emotional, the physical abuse kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And every time I heard that person's name or someone like them, that hatred just, just boiled over. I remember Sue went for a walk with, with Carrie Nieblas, now Nieblas. And I got on my knees and I said, when she comes back, I'm telling her I'm quitting. Because how can I say that I love everybody in this church? And this wasn't the plant, this was at the other church. But hates, despise, someone else. And I got on my knees and I begged God, help me not to hate. And for 45 minutes, I just asked the Spirit of God to pray in me and pray through me and finally resolve this once and for all. And this person was someone who claimed to be a Christian. And the divine power of God came over me. And I sat down and I wrote this long letter to the individual. I said, this is it. It's done. And something came out of me that day. God was saying, you need to love them as I have loved you have to learn to see them as I see you. And that day, because love emerging from forgiveness changes the direction of one's life. 
love emerging from forgiveness changes the direction of one's life. And yes, I have battled every single season of having to re-give this person to Jesus. I'll never forget a good friend of mine. We had a, a pretty major conflict. And in that conflict, it was one of those situations where where I was wrong was how I reacted towards them. They offended me and I went to their house and I just kind of like verbally blew them up. I don't verbally blow people up. That's not my nature. And I was so angry and felt like I had every right and I severed the relationship. And God said, you realize you were wrong. And so me and this individual got together again and said, hey, listen, whatever you did is what you did, but I am just as wrong. I'm sorry. You see, this whole idea of hate is that we've been told like that we're allowed to. It's protection, it's armor, it's covering. It keeps us safe from other individuals where Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. Think about Jesus on the cross. Think about those who who denied him. He still loved Judas. Do you realize that? He still loved Judas. Judas broke his heart. But he loved Judas just as much as John. And so there's a dichotomy of love and hate. Because those we really hate are people who have one time have probably loved us the most. Or we have loved them. There's that tension. And he gives this illustration, this, this, this metaphor, this image of, of darkness and light. He says that if you are living in the agape of God and striving for, not in perfection, striving for agape and filia with one another, you're living in the light. In your anger, do not sin. You're allowed to get angry. You're allowed to disagree. You're allowed to have conflict. But it's in those things that God wants unity. Love one another. But he says this. But if you're living in a place of hatred, you're actually lying to yourself. And you're living in a place of darkness. You think everything's good, but you're actually blinded. Any of us ever been there? That our darkness pulls us into a place of isolation. We stop going to church. We stop hanging out with people. We kind of avoid individuals. And we just say, I'm good, I'm good. And deep down you're getting darker and darker and darker. I want to challenge you. We all hurt one another. But we all have the opportunity to be the agape of God so that true love and true reconciliation can come to fruition. You see, love, it's a verb. It's an action. There's nothing worse, as I said earlier, that when someone says, I love you, and they do not show up, there's nothing worse than that. That is not love. That is actually avoidance. Look what John says. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. 
Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before who? God. Remember I told you about, uh, I had a conflict with a friend that I'd shared just a moment ago. Going through this sermon, I always want him to know I love him. On Friday, I reached out to him. Hey man, just reaching out. I want to let you know I love you. Let's connect. Because we strive for agape. And as we strive in agape, God does this divine work in our hearts. I would rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. I'd rather see you live out Jesus than tell me about him. I'll never forget this. When I was 17 years old and I was all whacked out just being a dumb 17-year-old, which I was. My older brother, Scott, we went for a ride. We were driving in his Mustang GT. He was going way too fast on Route 17 South. I remember where it was, past Ridgewood Road. And he's flying. He's like, what's going on with you? And I had this arrogance in me saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm living. I don't care what mom, dad, you, anyone thinks. This is where I'm most comfortable. My brother just held the steering wheel. And tears just came down his face. That was probably the greatest picture of agape I had ever experienced. And all he did is he sat there and listened. And then he said, man, I don't want to see you hurt yourself. I love you, but you are breaking my heart. That's my 19-year-old brother. That is agape. That we love people right where they're at. And yet we live in a place of honesty and truth with the hope that they'll see Jesus in us. I didn't see Jesus in a preacher. I didn't see Jesus in a bunch of adults running around. I saw Jesus in my brother. Because even in my brokenness. He perfectly loved me. How cool is that? And then when I got my life straightened out, you know what he said? He said, come live with me, my friends. How awesome is that? That's love. That's agape. Love is action. Love is an action requiring involvement and participation. I want to learn to love like Jesus. I want when people, when I'm gone, people say, wow, that dude was whacked. But he knew how to love. Because out of all the one another's, that's the one that matters. Because everything else falls in place. Forgiveness, unity, spurring on, encouraging, building up, all comes from this definition. Church, 
I don't want people to say, man, their, their worship is killer. Their preacher, he's fire. I don't care about that. I want people to come to the plant and say, wow, they truly love like Jesus loves. Wow, they really meet us where we're at. Wow, even though no matter what circumstance I'm in, you know what? They met me. They valued me. They made space for the Holy Spirit to do his best work. That's the church we need to be. And I'll be honest with you, I think most people don't want that. I think everybody wants good song, good dance, good word. That's not church. That's like going to a good restaurant and getting a good meal. We are the church. So when I think about loving one another, I have two images. And like these images like just are images that anyone that I, that I meet, mentor, uh, my, my kids that I parent, I always talk about these things. The thermostat versus the thermometer, right? One tells the temperature of an individual where the other one sets the temperature in the room. You see this love one another? Some of you should be squirming. Everyone tighten your seatbelt, right? Tighten your seatbelt, right? We should be squirming, including Pastor Rob. This was one of those weeks where I'm like, seriously, I gotta preach on this? Seriously, any other week but this week. But, but it sharpens, it sharpens. What's your temperature? What's your love thermometer? Let's call it that, your love thermometer. Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you easily irritable? Are you demanding? Do you hold offenses against people, especially the people closest to you, meaning your spouse? Do you get jealous? Do you get proud? Do your conversations build others up more than you having to build yourself up? When you walk in the room, do people say, boom, I want to be with them because they're setting the, temp the temperature of everyone around us. I think we need to be the thermostat of this culture. That's what I believe. I believe the church needs to set the temperature of Jesus in our culture. You want to be countercultural? You want to be like, like that place? Then you do this. You set the temperature as the love of Christ lives in you through each other. Because as you're loving one another, people are going to say, I want that. I need that. I want their mojo. I have to have that in my life because it's the love of Christ that transforms a human being. It's not behavior. It's not behavior modification. It's heart transformation. And love has the power to change the human heart. Studies have shown Plant family, let's set the temperature for this culture. Let's grow 
Let's thrive. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Would you open up your bread with me? We're going to take communion. Oftentimes you go to churches and they talk about communion. And they talk about more about who can take communion and who cannot. If you're here for the first time and you're not a follower of Jesus, you are not allowed to take communion. I don't read that in scripture. What I read in scripture is this. In Romans, that when Paul talks about communion and he's with the gathering of people, he says, if you have any offenses against another, go make it right before you eat and drink. And so if someone comes to the plant and Jesus is pushing on their heartstrings and there is something divine going in their heart, I challenge you, take communion. Let Jesus do his best work in you. Declare in taking communion that Jesus, today, I am beginning to let you work. But if you have an offense towards someone, Paul says, wait, go get it right. You don't want to live in darkness. He's like, just just put it down. The most holy thing that you could do today is not eating bread, especially this kind of bread, or drinking from a little cup. The most holy thing you can do is go getting right with someone. Because when we take the bread and we eat it, we say, Jesus, I receive your agape, and I will learn to agape others. Let's eat. You see, we can't agape anyone without the Holy Spirit, without God's presence. He said, this cup is the new covenant, the Holy Spirit. We agape, we philia, because the Spirit of God lives in us. Because the Spirit of God is in us, I believe that that world will be changed. Amen? Let's drink. Let's sing together. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.